you take your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1, text this morning, verses 6 to 13. As we mentioned last time, as we work our way through this gospel, we have to remember the keynote verse, which occurs at the end of the book, in John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name, which means that every place we go in this gospel, uh, we should be asking the question, how does this passage point me to Jesus as the Messiah? Uh, and how is it calling me to believe in him, to trust in him, to rest my heart in him? That's certainly the case for our passage this morning as we continue to work our way through this section that's called the prologue that lasts from verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 18. The prologue to the book, the first word of the book, we're taking a section of it this morning. Having seen um, who the word was last week, this week we see what the word does. Uh, what is the word's mission? But in order to see this this morning, but even more benefit from it, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help, shall we? Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you now as your people. We desire to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and open our eyes of faith that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. Do this work in us, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we hear the words search and rescue, if you're like me at all, the image that comes into mind perhaps is, is the image of someone or some group of people going on a dangerous expedition, uh, like Navy SEALs jumping out of helicopters, plunging into icy waters, or uh, perhaps Army Rangers jumping out of airplanes back behind enemy lines, and, and these heroes, and they are heroes, they're, they're doing their work as, as searchers, they're, they're looking for those who are lost behind enemy lines, and, and they're hoping to rescue them, that, that's what we have in mind. But in Seattle, Washington, those words have a different meaning, at, at least at, at the Union Gospel Mission. Search and rescue is the title that they have given to the program that the staff runs each night. 
You see, each night, the, the mission staff, they, they load up vans, and they drive into the dark places of King County, Washington State. They invite men and women to, to come out of the darkness to the mission to, to spend the night in a warm, safe place. If the people don't choose to come, they're given a blanket, and they're given food and a hot drink, they're given other supplies beside, but, but the real desire of the mission workers is for these men and women to come out of the darkness into the light, out of the dark night into the light of the mission, but also out of the dark night of, of their circumstances, the dark night of, of their hearts, and to come into the light of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order for these men and women to come out of the darkness into the light, the gospel mission volunteers, they have to go on this search and rescue mission. Of course, it's the same for all of us, you know. If any of us are going to come out of the darkness of our lives, if any of us are going to come out of the darkness of our own hearts, if we're going to come to the light, someone had to go on a search and rescue mission. Someone had to pursue you in those dark and guilty places, as we often confess, in order for you to come into the light. And the good news is this. Someone did. Someone went on a search and rescue mission for you. God himself did that. And he did it in the most remarkable way possible. He set aside his glory. God didn't grasp hold of his glory. He didn't cling to it as something he had to have. No, he came into our world by becoming a man, even more, by becoming a servant. And in Jesus Christ, he came as a servant to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be the light shining in your darkness. He came on a search and rescue mission. That's reality. That's the reality that the gospel is all about. It's, it's the, the most truest thing in our world. This, it's this fundamental reality that God, the word of God, the light of God, he came. God came. And there are, in fact, witnesses who saw this God in human form, who, who saw the word, who became flesh, who came into our neighborhood, who, who dwelt among us. There are witnesses to this. That's what the Apostle John speaks of here in verses 6 to 8. He speaks of a man named John who was sent from God. You see it? Your Bibles are still open, right? Look at chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Here he's not speaking of himself, the apostle. He's speaking of the one we know as John the Baptist. And this man who's been sent from God, whose name was John, he had one task. It was to be a witness. Three times you see it here. Look at it. Verse 7, he came as a witness. Again, to bear witness about the light. Verse 8, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so this one John, this one we know as John the Baptist, he came as a witness. But this isn't the only place where John's task is, is spelled out in this way, that he is to be a witness. 
Now, John's gospel will say this elsewhere. John chapter 1, verse 19, he says that, that John the Baptist gave testimony about Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 32 and 34, John bore witness about the Spirit's descent upon Jesus, and John bore witness that Jesus is the Son of God. Chapter 3, verse 26, Jesus' own disciples knew that John had come in order to bear witness to Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus recognized that John had borne witness to the truth. So, so John's task was to bear witness, to give testimony. So what does a witness do? What is this all about? Why is this important? Well, a witness establishes the truthfulness of certain facts. If people are going to report or, or believe the report concerning Jesus, it's helpful to have others that we can point to who are, who are helpful witnesses, who are able to corroborate that, in fact, this fundamental, fundamental reality is so. That was John's task. John's sole task was to be a witness to the fact that the true light had come into the world and his name is Jesus. And this Jesus is, in fact, the word of God, the very expression of God. He's the light of God who brings life to all who he comes to. That's John's witness. And he witnesses to the world concerning Jesus' own work. What was Jesus' work? Well, it's verse 9. You see it there. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This was Jesus' work, his mission. It's the central fact. It's, it's the most determinative fact of world history. Is that, is that God, in Jesus Christ, has come into the world. You know that's the case. There is not a place in this world where this fundamental reality isn't to be reckoned with. Every culture that does business in this world marks today as September 5th, 2021. Why do we count the years this way? Why do people in Indonesia or China or Iraq or India, though they may have other counting systems or, or, or places in Africa, or Scotland, United States, why do, we, why do we mark the date 2021? Well, in the medieval period, you would have known this, right? It's in the year of our Lord, 2021. Even the date shows you that the most fundamental fact of human history centers on the fact that Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the light of God, has come into the world. That was his mission, was to enter into our space. But it, not only here does it say, I'll tell you this. John's Gospel, over and again, will testify to this fundamental reality that Jesus, as the Son of God, as the Word of God, has come into the world. John chapter 6, verse 14, the crowd says, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Or John chapter 11, verse 27, Martha will say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. John chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus will say of himself, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And then Jesus will say to Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 37, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world 
in order to bear witness to the truth. And so when Jesus and others want to describe what was central to his mission, central to his work, they use this language, that he has come into the world. Now why is that significant? It's, it's because he's the word. It's because Jesus is the very self-expression of God's own person. That in fact, when you look at Jesus, you see God. You see his power and person. You see his nature. You see someone who's identified with God and yet distinct with God. And this reality, the revelation of God in Jesus, it's objectively available to all the world. That, that's the import of verse 9 when it says, the true light which gives light to everyone. Or the NIV has it, the true light which enlightens everyone. That doesn't mean that everyone's saved. No, what that means is that this objective reality that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, has entered into the world. It's, a, it's objectively available to everyone. It gives light to everyone. People may deny it. And yet this is true. This is reality. That God, in Jesus Christ, has come into the world. Of course, that draws a response. That reality that Jesus, the Word of God... The light of God has come into the world. It demands a response. And there's really only two responses possible. And indeed, one of the possible responses is to reject him. In fact, as this gospel narrative will demonstrate, that in fact happened. That Jesus is the one who is the creator. The very mediator of creation. The redeemer who came in space and time. He was rejected by the world. That's what verse 10 tells you. He was in the world, John writes, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He was in the world that he made. We've already seen that last week, that this word is in fact the creator. All things were made through him, John 1.3. Without him was not anything made that was made. We know that this is in fact the case, that Jesus is the agent, the mediator of creation, and so this, this Jesus, who is the Son of God, the Word of God, the light of God, he came into the world as, as the creator of that world. A world that, that God loved, as you know. You know this because you know the most famous verse from this book. God so loved the world. He loved the world that he made, the creatures that he made, the world system that he made. God loved this world and he came to it in Jesus Christ. And what did the world do? The world rejected him. The world did not know him. It did not recognize him as its rightful Lord and creator. It did not see in Jesus Christ, Savior and Redeemer. Didn't respond to his search and rescue mission. And in fact, rejected him outright. Washed their hands of him. Turned their back upon him. That's what the world did. He came to this world that he made, and the world did not know him. That's horrible. It's horrible that the creator of all came to the world that he made, and the world did not know him. And yet, as awful as that is, as awful as that is, it actually is far worse. You might expect that, that pagans who had no prior knowledge of this, of this 
purpose and plan of God to come among his people and rescue them, to go on a search and rescue mission, it might be understandable that they would reject him. It might be understandable that Pilate would reject him and wash his hands of him. It might be understandable that the Roman Caesar might not bow the knee to him. Okay, we can understand that perhaps, although it was wrong and horrific. But how much worse was it that Jesus came to his own people and his own people rejected him? That's what verse 11 tells you. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's the story that John's gospel is going to tell us from chapter 1 to verse chapter, chapter 12. Jesus is going to perform seven particular signs that should have testified to God's people who he was. That he is in fact the word of God. And yet as these signs are performed, as there's teaching given accompanying him, do God's people receive him? Do they respond to him? No. At the end of John chapter 12, what do you find? John 12, 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Get this. He came to the people of Abraham. The people that had those promises all those years before. The people through whom God had said, through you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He came to the people whom he had met through Moses as the mediator, through whom God had given a covenant and a law and a sacrificial system that was supposed to point to this, to this one who was going to come. He came to this people through whom he had made promises in David that a son of David would rule on his throne forever. He came to this people to whom he had sent the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the twelve, over and again testifying that God was going to come in this Davidic king and he was going to set his world to rights again. For 2,000 years he had been dealing with his own people. They had the law, they had the Old Testament, they had all the signs and his own people did not receive him. They rejected him more. They crucified him. They crucified him. And in and rejecting him and crucifying him. They weren't simply rejecting and crucifying a man. They weren't simply rejecting and crucifying a teacher. They weren't simply rejecting and crucifying a preacher, a prophet. They weren't even rejecting and crucifying a pretender to the throne. My friends, God's own people rejected and crucified God. The God they professed to worship. The God they professed to love. Which teaches us this. It's entirely possible for you to profess to believe in God and still reject him. If God's own people can fail to recognize Jesus, even while professing to believe in God, you and I can as well. You might be here this morning. And you said, well, it's Labor Day weekend. Let's go to church. Haven't been to church for a while. And you pray and you give. And you have a profession. Your members. Part of God's own people. Friends, it is entirely possible for all that to be true in your case. And still in your heart of hearts, reject this Jesus. Jesus. 
to not be committed to him, to not believe in him, to believe what you believe about him. It's entirely possible. If it can happen to God's own people 2,000 years ago, it can certainly happen to folks here in Memphis, Tennessee on September 5, 2021. We need to examine ourselves. Because one of the responses to this fundamental reality that Jesus has come into the world, that the word of God, the light of God has come into the world is to reject him. Maybe not reject him with our mouth, but reject him in our hearts and in our lives. But there is another response. Not just rejection, but reception. That's what John goes on to say. He doesn't stop in verse 11, thankfully. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him. What does that mean? What does that mean to receive Jesus as God's word who has come into the world? What does that mean? Well, from the human side, it means to believe in his name. John puts those phrases in apposition in verse 12. You see it? For to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. So that tells us that receiving Jesus involves believing in his name. But but for John, believing in Jesus' name is more than simply having a head knowledge about Jesus or an acknowledgement concerning Jesus or a general belief about Jesus. No, believing in Jesus' name means yielding allegiance to him. It means trusting him completely. It means acknowledging his claims upon your life. It means confessing him with gratitude. It means obeying his commands. It it means take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Is not simply a song we sing. It's the very cry of our hearts. Because, friends, that... When we believe in Jesus' name, we believe what Jesus claims to be. Yes, Savior and Lord, to be sure. But he is God. He claims to be God. And if, if, if we're receiving Jesus, if we're believing in Jesus' name, that means we're, we're believing in him and receiving him and committed to him as he claims to be. He is your God. He's your God. And all the other things that, that compete for with him they're always in second place your husband or your wife your children your job your position whatever it may be all second place jesus is the one to whom we're absolutely committed because we believe in his name friends that's only possible it's only possible to be committed to jesus in this way if from god's side something happens From our side, it's believing in his name. From God's side, it's actually granting us a new birth, causing us to be born anew. That's what John says. He says in verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Or as the NIV renders it, born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. In other words, you and I, we don't cause ourselves to be born anew. God does. He's the one who enlightens our minds. He's the one who renews our wills. He's the one who enables us to embrace Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel. 
He's the one who makes it possible for us to believe, to rest, to receive on him. That's why Jesus is going to say in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so, Unless you experience a new birth, unless you're born again, born of God, born of the Spirit, you will never believe. You'll never commit yourself to love and obedience to Jesus. But if you've been born anew, if you've been brought out of the darkness into the light, if you are able to see how excellent Jesus is, if you are able to, to rest yourself in him and believe in his name, there's a glorious result. John tells you, to all who re did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the result. Think about that. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that you, a sinner, a rebel, who deserves nothing but wrath and curse, that you might become not a guest, not a friend, but you might be called son. You might be called daughter. Not a bum on the street but a child of God himself invited to come. Is there any wonder why John, in his first letter, when he reflects on these things, there's this huge outburst of emotion when he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Friends, this is God's purpose. This is the Word's mission. He's on a search and rescue mission for you. For you. That you might be brought out of your darkness. Brought out of your fear. Brought out of your sorrow. Brought out of your guilt. Brought out of your shame. Brought out of the darkness. Into his light. So that you might have life. And have it abundantly. And you might be called the very son or daughter of the king. All you got to do is come. Don't be like those who when the Union Rescue Mission came, they said, no, we want to stay out in the darkness. And they're given a blanket, and they're given some food. They're given a prayer, and they stay in the darkness. Let that not be you. Jesus is searching for you right now. Whether you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, he's searching for you right now. He wants to rescue you, so come. Come to the light. Believe in him, receive him, rest upon him. He's searching for you. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we bless you that in Jesus Christ you've, you've gone after us and you're determined to rescue us from us. Lord, we long, we long for your light. We long for your rest. We do believe in you. Lord, as we prepare to come to this table and to feast with you, Lord, remind us of all of this. May we never get bored with it, never get tired of it. This good news that we were rebels and wanderers. We've become sons and daughters of the King through Jesus, the Word of God. We bless you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your worship booklet.